Today's story was submitted by subscriber Carl Schabel from Murray, Utah. This story is told from the perspective of a male. The music contained within this episode had been through a collaboration with composer Mew. His information is available on coppershock.com under Featured Artists. The music within this episode is available for purchase on iTunes. I'm Tasha Wheelhouse, and this is Copper Shock. I can't be sure of what I saw. All I know is something out there in the wood deceived me, and I almost killed Brock. Back in college, I had a group of friends that would get together on the weekends for a few beers to hang out, shoot the wind, and talk about our week. We sat on their porch, feeling the humid air pleasantly rest on our skin and listen to the crickets. I leaned back into the porch post and heard it slightly creak. As I took a sip of my beer, Kevin said aloud to the group, You guys ever go to the haunted train tracks? I looked him over and he had a big grin on his face. Are you talking about the one ghost story with the guy who, uh... Becky then raised one hand and made a chop motion into her neck. That's the one, Kevin said, pointing his beer bottle toward her. Tell me about it, I called over to him. The rest of the group seemed interested in hearing the story, too. There were only about seven of us, three guys, four girls. Story goes like this. Kevin sat up and leaned forward for dramatic effect. Along this railroad track back in the 1880s, a train was having trouble with one of the hitches tugging at the engine rear as they moved. They decided to come to a full stop to see exactly what was going on. The engineer stayed put, but one of the conductors was sent to inspect it. Turns out, some of the chains weren't hooked up right and jumbled around in a big knot. It would stretch and pull the car forward as it moved. The hitch itself wasn't even done right, or hooked up at all. So the conductor starts getting the heavy chains untangled before he could hook up the hitch again. But something went wrong. The engineer later at the trial said he swore up and down that he saw the conductor leave the gap between the two cars, give him the A-OK sign with his right hand, and just before he stepped on the train, he had a malevolent smirk, as though he'd just achieved something. But as the engineer starts up the steam engine again, his front cars inch forward. He hears a garbled scream, followed by silence and an audible crack sound. He turns back to see the cars aren't connected, and he's spreading the gap even more. The engineer now hops down from the engine to walk back to the two cars. Lying on the ground, staring up at him, with wide-open eyes and a gaped mouth, the severed head of the conductor nestled in between two rail rungs. Blood coated the chains and spilled like thick black milk over the metal track, gushing from the conductor's neck and body. The trial pieced together what they think happened. The tangled mess of chains somehow got around the conductor's neck, and when the engineer started to pull forward, decapitated him. Kevin leaned back. The rest of us were mortified, captivated and dumbfounded. Who was it he saw go back into the train? 
Becky asked. Don't know, but they never found the guy he said he saw. The engineer was thrown in jail for involuntary manslaughter. Kevin gave a small burp, which he covered with the back of his hand. So what is it that makes it haunted? I asked. I think we should go out and see. I heard Brock chuckle. Kevin's smile gets wider. Are all you guys in? He points around to the group of us. Yeah, let's go, I agree. We all pile into two cars and go out to the location that's an hour and a half drive away. I had never been there before, so I didn't pay attention to the directions. But when we got there, I opened my door and was greeted with the chirping of the occasional cricket. I shut my door and start walking out to a beaten dirt trail in the thick wood. Me, Kevin, and Brock were the only men. The girls included Becky and three of her friends that I hadn't met before tonight. I could tell Brock was sweet on Becky's shortest friend, but I knew to keep my mouth shut and just let him flirt in his own way, as awkward as it was. We passed a no trespassing sign covered in dirt nailed to a tree. I pointed to it, and Kevin said, Cops started putting those up a few years back. They'd sort of been done with random people coming out here. They started keeping a closer eye on the area because one guy brought his gun and shot the other person he was with. Said he saw something that made him do it. Totally weird. The family swore up and down that they were tight like brothers. Since then, the police have tried to keep a crackdown. But it's been a few years and I haven't gotten in trouble since then. It's more about timing. When we finally reached the track, the moon was out and it was bright. We didn't need flashlights on a night like this. Kevin and Brock helped me gather some wood and lit a small pit fire next to the tracks. Listening to the fire crackle, we had a few more beers and started to tell each other scary stories. One after the next, each one sucking us further and further into scaring one another. We stared into the dancing fire at the center of us, eventually falling silent. The quiet was broken with a scream from Becky across from me. She was staring right behind my shoulder. I whirl around to see something I can only explain as a light. A distant ball of white light no bigger than a lantern flame. It hovered over the ground about 40 yards away and moved so slowly and bobbed unevenly. It crossed the tracks and disappeared into the woods on the other side. The group breaks out into a panic of conversation. Did you see that? What was it? You should go and check it out. At, you should go and check it out, I immediately said, no way. But Brock squared his shoulders up to be tough, slapped my shoulder and said, come on, man, let's go. I looked to Kevin, who shrugged and nodded to go with us. The girls huddled together, holding arms, as they watched us walk out into the dark night over the gravel of the old tracks. How far do you think we need to go? Kevin asked. Don't know. Far enough, Brock said. I kept walking behind the two of them. We looked out at our surroundings as we went. The strange thing was... There were no power lines or street lights. 
We were truly in the middle of the wilderness, and also no crossroads for us to think a drive-by motorcycle or car with one headlight probably tricked us in our drinking. Nothing like that. Even then, the funny thing was, I felt pretty clear walking out there. Not buzzed at all. We had walked out pretty far at one point and stopped to talk to each other. We questioned if we'd gone too far or to keep going to see if we could get a better look at the light. I hear a chorus of screaming from the girls behind way back at the pit fire. The three of us turn to look. Emerging out from the woods is that same glowing light crossing back to the original side it came from. Only it was floating in the distance between where we stood and the pit fire where the girls were. I turned back to talk to the guys to run with them, but they were gone. Silence cuts abruptly from behind me mid-scream, and I turned to face the pit fire. There was no fire. It was dark. I felt silence encompass me. Everywhere around me was quiet, and I was alone. Where am I? I stood there, frozen for a moment. The whole thing was surreal. How could I just turn around and have everyone be gone? The tracks underneath my feet began to rumble. And I mean violently vibrate and shake as though 380 tons of metal was hurtling my way. That was impossible. These tracks are abandoned. I felt my blood turn to ice as I hear a distant whistle. I look in both directions of the track, trying to find out where it's coming from. But the sound is getting louder, and I turn to move off from the tracks. From the wood, a shell of a shadow comes out, one arm holding out an old metal lantern. Its headless neck was jagged and uneven, a halo of blood around its neck where its head should have been. Its free arm lunged at me. I screamed and fell back into the gravel, feeling it dig into my elbows. It walks toward me as the rumble of the train on the tracks starts up again. I feel a bulge of a large rock under my palm as I scramble to stand up to run. I'm about to take my first step to sprint, but am stopped. The conductor's hand grabbed my arm, and I felt myself reel around, punching him hard in the stomach. I do remember thinking it was odd that something that looked no more than a shadow felt so solid and flesh-like. I bend down and picked up the heavy rock, ready to throw it at the headless ghost. And I'm stopped, holstered into place mid-air. I blink, and yelling fills my ears. Carl, what are you doing? Stop! Stop! You're going to kill him! Kevin's arms are bracing me from the back, and I'm standing at the ready with the large rock over my head and poised to thrust it down. Only what was in front of me wasn't the ghost. It was Brock on the ground and holding his stomach in pain. What happened? I looked at Kevin dropping the rock, letting it crack into pieces. You just lost it. First we saw the lights cross the track, then you started looking around like you were really confused. You didn't respond to us when we talked to you. Soon as Brock touched your arm, you turned on him and sucker punched him. Then I saw you grab the rock and was afraid you were going to bash his brains in because 
You had the most insane look of anger on your face. I've never seen you like that before. I stared at Kevin. I was here the whole time? I turned to Brock at a loss for words, embarrassed that I had hurt him. Brock, I... Um, I'm sorry. I have no idea what happened. The girls saw us fighting and decided to run over. Soon as they got there... Brock picked himself up off the ground, not letting Kevin or I help him. Let's all just leave. We put out the fire, and I followed everyone back to the cars. The ride home was uncomfortable. We all knew we had gotten more than what we bargained for. I suppose, in an odd way, I was the lucky one. Whatever illusion had taken me, didn't win. We all left there, alive. I have no intention of going back, and I warn anyone who goes looking for the light on the tracks of the Cohoke Ghost. End of the Cohoke Ghost. This episode was produced by me, Tasha Wheelhouse. If you are loving these episodes, please don't be shy and subscribe. If you would like, uh, please give it a good rating as well. By rating the channel, it helps us to reach new listeners, helping the channel to grow. If you would also like to further support the channel, please check us out on Patreon or make a one-time donation through PayPal. Details on coppershock.com under the support page. The original recorded interview is also on coppershock.com under the extras of author's additional notes. Everyone has got a story to tell, and I'm dying to hear yours. There's a submission page on coppershock.com if you'd like to reach out to me, because you know what? I love hearing from all of you. These adapted stories are a copyright of Coppershock. I thank you so much for listening, and I'm going to see you next week.